Welcome to the Meltdown podcast of December 16th, 2018. I had to check that. Uh, I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And today we're going to talk about our current projects that we are working on. On other news, we will talk about the new MakerBot method that was just announced a couple of days ago. Yeah, and the only two materials that MakerBot method printer can print is PLA or PTG. So we're going to discuss which one of those you should be using and which one we prefer overall. Um, in our weekly topic, as announced, we don't always just talk about 3D printing and making because we're both YouTubers. We sometimes also want to chat about uh, YouTubing and, and doing that sort of thing. <laughs> so um, we are going to take a look behind the scenes and check out what sort of content works and whether we should be we should actually be making the content we want to make or you know we should put our priorities somewhere else All yeah right, Stefan, what have you been up to what have i been up to so i finally just released like an hour ago my my filament test video about the nano diamond filaments which i have just been putting off and off for weeks and weeks but i finally yeah finished it i'm kind of happy with the results um the filament is interesting but not like the holy grail of 3d printing i was looking for but yeah so i have finally done that and now i can finally go to new projects um things like my new dremel 3d printer behind me that i well got provided as a loan unit from from dremel like one and a half weeks ago and i can play around with it and see how it performs and uh, if it would be a machine I would also be interested in and uh, also something which I have been looking for for quite a while is paste extruders so yeah Ooh. my channel is called CNC kitchen uh, I don't know if I will be doing like food extrusion with that um, I'm more thinking in the direction clay extruding and I got one of these pretty nice linear uh, actuator like stepper motors that um, well, instead of having a real axis in the motor, so in the motor rotor, it has um, um, like the um, trapezoidal nut on the yep. inside. So you can have a um, trapezoidal lead screw in there, fix it at some place, place. When the motor rotates, the nut on the inside will rotate and more or less act like a linear actuator. Uh, I've never been working with one of these so far, but I'm really looking forward to. Um, and they are not, unfortunately, not, not as common as yeah. um, the normal stepper motors. Um, they're kind of hard to get and kind of expensive, but they are like the... the um, the perfect uh, uh, motors for doing like these these paste extruders because uh, you don't have to fiddle around with complicated like kinematics to get the the piston in your paste extruder to move so yeah this will be something uh, coming up i don't know when it's going to be finished but um yeah i'm looking forward to it. yeah sorry if i just looked confused because my, my phone just went lost connection to my camera but it's it's fine, right? Uh, yeah. So, so the the motor you have there is not one of those where it has the integrated lead screw um, no. as you would have on a three D printer. It's it's kind of similar, right? So the actual spindle or the thing that's sticking out, it, I, I can't see a thread on there on your webcam, but uh, that is actually moving through the motor itself. Yes. So the motor. So in the rotor of the motor <laughs> there is a nut included so yeah. the nut is rotating when when the motor rotates and so 
uh, as I said, you, you can just hold one of these sides, yeah. clamp it down, and then when a motor rotates, you have this linear actuation going on there. It's different to the um, integrated lead screw motors you find on Prusa printers and, and many other ones. Um, uh, but they are perfect for linear actuation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, as I said, they're kind of hard to get and kind of expensive. Uh, but yeah, one it's the, online. Yeah, it's the 3D printer kind of multiplier effect, right? Stepper motors and uh, yeah. LMADUs and precision linear rails used to be extremely expensive and hard to find before 3D printing took off. Um, in fact, even though the ones with the integrated lead screw were kind of rare um, before mm. manufacturers started using them. So maybe if that's something that works for 3D printing and for Z-axes um, or somewhere else, pretty well you know if people buy them they're going to become more available more readily available mm. i don't know if they if if you would have a benefit if you had one of these as a z-axis in your 3d printer um i don't think so i think that the normal nut works quite well there but if you want to move something this is pretty nice yeah yeah and it, it has that benefit that um Basically, because you're saying paste extrusion, you have a plunger in mm -hmm. some syringe style thing. Mm -hmm. um, basically, you stick that rod in your syringe and that pushes it down. It, it actually, let me see, it doesn't, that, that entire range of motion doesn't have to be like covered by your linear thread, um, your, mm -hmm. your thread moves. So yeah, that's, that, that's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. Yeah. And you get these with, um, well, different, um, Pitches. This one is a two millimeter pitch, so you can yep. you, you probably get quite a lot of force out of it. If you want, if you want to have something fast, yeah. you can also get these with a six or eight millimeter pitch. Yeah, so that's like yeah. a four start then, uh, same as the the Prusa printers use. Yep. So nice. Yeah. yeah. Pretty nice. On the topic of the Dremel printer, um, Bosch actually, you know, wrote me as well uh, about that 3D45, and I never got back to them. Um, apparently, you were you were quicker on the draw there. Uh, but so they, they didn't give you one, or you just um, no? They wrote me an email. Like, I never wrote back, um, okay. as I do with so many emails these days, because it's just too much to handle, and I've, I've yeah. got other things to worry about um, it, than, than it's, requesting it's, more 3D yeah. printers. <laughs> It's really weird for me, so because I was so happy when the first company, I think one and a half years ago, this was Gearbest, wrote Ooh. me an email and said, "Oh, you want? Do you want to have a free 3D printer?" They, <laughs> and they thought, seem yeah, to have you written have... everyone back then. Yeah, <laughs> and this was so cool. But uh, yeah, well, I, I have come to that point where I start rejecting 3D printers because, Good well, once I don't have the time to cover them in reviews. Yeah, and it, it, it feels wrong accepting them and saying, yeah, sure, send send it to me. And then you just never take it out of the box. And there's like three no. printers in my basement that are still waiting to be taken out of the box. <laughs> and then the, the box is starting to get soft from the moisture and all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to put them somewhere in the end. So I already started putting some of them in in my um, in my attic. Do you say attic? Attic? Yeah, I think it's, that's a British Did, word. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I ha I have been given some of them away to like younger uh well people I know who I said okay I have some of them at home I don't need them uh don't well spend all of your hard earned money on them uh just just take one but yeah 
Yeah. Um, now, now, because because we're at the point where, where it's going to come up in the comments, I'm sure, why don't we just give 3D printers away? Why don't we run giveaways and stuff? Um, and I've, I've answered that a, a few times before, but I mean, some printers like um, the Prusas and the Ultimaker and the Sigma, um, I, I want to keep because they're, they're reference printers and I can always go back to those and print something and be like, okay, this is what this machine prints at, which is a very popular model and, and I can compare it to whatever uh, other machine produces. But with um, with cheaper machines, like some of the Chinese stuff that I don't really care about, that I don't need around because it's just another one of those uh, CR10 or um, Ender 3 clones, it's first of all shipping is crazy expensive if you mm -hmm. run if if you ship internationally from germany it's it's going to cost something like 50 60 bucks to ship that print and that's almost the price of an ender 3 right there <laughs> then you're going to have to deal with imports and, and taxes and customs and, and that mess uh you have to run the giveaway yeah of course you can run it with gleam and like gain twitter subscribers and or followers and that sort of thing but uh, it's just it's such a, a big deal to do it's it's, mm. it's going to be expensive and it's also you know then you give a printer away and whoever you give the printer to usually kind of expects you to hold their hand and to walk you through the process and that can that can add up in in time you know quite significantly so i don't know um I, I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing as you are um i, I give them out to friends where i know yeah. okay they're not going to bother me about it or they know how to how to handle them or i take them apart for components mm. because the components i can really use um another ender 3 clone not really <laughs> yeah but well maybe staying on the topic of the dremel yeah. one of the reasons why i accepted <laughs> this one is that well because i'm already looking since quite a while for a fully enclosed printer I can use to run my ABS, my nylon, my polycarbonates uh, in there. Um, and this was a machine that on first glance seemed to be a candidate which could be usable for that. Um, working with the printer for like, like a week now, um, it's a nice machine but the the GUI and the uh, software is kind of dumbed down because they are aiming towards the educational market. Um, and I kind of feel that this is a waste because the machine itself is pretty nice. They have dynamic drivers in there. They have a 32-bit board. They have a direct extruder in there, um, fully enclosed, charcoal filter, all, all of that shenanigan. All right. How, how much is it? Uh, 1,500 bucks. 1,500 if it's it performs, that's not too bad for what you get. I mean, the, the features you're listing down, it sounds pretty nice. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it's nice. And it is in the... Well, it's cheaper than an Ultimaker. It's in it's cheaper than, I think, the Race 3D printers, the Sawtrex, which are also going into that direction. Uh, um, Sawtrex are actually way cheaper than that. The M200 you can get for 700 okay. on sale at times. So, um, and you have like a Wi-Fi controller in there. It's like fully print in the cloud, which is working very well. Um, but as I said, it's kind of dumbed down. You can't change the extrusion factor while you're printing. Um, it's kind of hard to use a material which is not a Dremel material in the printer. You Ooh. can't control the case fan. It, it's Well, it's working with another material, but changing the settings is kind of a hassle and you have to turn on an expert mode and everything which is connected to that. Um, 
I would really love to have this printer with a switch where you have an expert mode and can change all of the same settings yeah. as you have with a standard 3D printer. And th I, then I think this would be a great machine. But the problem is as soon as you have like an expert mode where you allow people to change things, then you have people messing stuff up and then they're going to come <laughs> back to your support and be like, hey, yeah. this thing doesn't work anymore. Can you please help me fix it? And then you have this yeah. whole thing you have to walk through. Like, hey, did you actually change this or did you do that? Yeah. And if you just don't give users that option, you know exactly what they didn't do at least. Yeah, it always warns me that um, if you're using other material than the Dremel material, you will void your warranty. <laughs> um, Which, uh, is, isn't that like illegal, at least in, in Europe? Uh, you know, 2D printer, inkjet manufacturer cartridge, mm -hmm. inkjet printer manufacturers have been um, losing in court when it comes to replacement inkjet cartridges voiding warranties so but i can understand that if 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 bad in ink is clogging your inkjet printer i if, think if that's... you have problems with the printhead specifically yes. but if your uh, f paper feeder breaks yeah. they can't claim okay you've used the wrong ink and then yeah. this broke and that's totally fine but yeah if if the ink is screwing up your printhead that's fine and if the filament is screwing up the extruder yeah. okay i can understand that yeah it's it's i feel like it should be the same for 3d printers yeah <laughs> i don't know so um i think well dremel they have all their support network and everything so if you have a problem with the printer um i guess they gonna provide good support there so i can understand that they are like uh, taking precautions that not everyone is screwing up their printers because uh, they use their own settings and their own materials. But for me, as a more professional maker, I see kind of a lot of potential that is wasted there. But as I said, I've just been working with this, this machine for a week. I'll see how it performs and uh, yeah. see if there might be use cases for that. And I think, well, for educational purposes, it is a nice machine because it's enclosed. Kids cannot just stick their fingers directly to the printhead and the, the the software works fine the cloud works fine and and all of that but yeah, yeah. some wasted uh potential there well, well yeah yeah and but, uh dremel is part of the the bosch group so i think they've they've yeah. got the um the support and all that figured out mm -hmm. definitely yeah you, you know what other printer has wi-fi and the touchscreen and an enclosure and uh is aimed towards a, a, a less hackery makery audience are you talking about MakerBot? yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk about that one um while we're at it so you, you mentioned the the enclosure um on the mm -hmm. dremel printer and yes. as far as i'm aware enclosure fully enclosed machines is something that nobody else can do because it's a patent held by Stratasys, aka MakerBot. At least, I, I, I mean, I know for sure the actively heated chamber, but mm -hmm. fully enclosed? I'm, uh, I'm like not sure there. And well, I was at Form Next and I was also taking a look at some professional FDM 3D printers and lots of them were fully enclosed and some of them had heating. Um, some of them told me that, yeah, we are not like, uh, uh, um, how do you say? Uh, um, they're not patent. Uh, they're not. 
There you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, no. Well, uh, it, it, it's not a problem with the patent because they're not actively heating it. Um, right. Because they're using the they're, print bed. They're or not some infringing of them, on the patent. Yeah, infringing. This there was the word go. I was looking for. <laughs> Thanks for the help there. Um, I'm not 100% sure there. I would need to check the patents. And I thought that some of the patents from the active build chamber just like um outdated a couple of weeks months or something really? like that ago Ooh, so that would be nice but d don't quote me on that yeah i have heard that somewhere <laughs> but this could be one of the reasons why yeah. more and more fdm 3d printers with actively heated build chambers are popping up on the market and they are not afraid that um, um stratasys is suing them for that but yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe let's get back to the maker yeah so at least MakerBot are claiming um so i'm quoting the website here designed from the ground up leveraging industry leading stratasys patents including a heated build chamber precision dissolvable supports and dry sealed material base so the, the they're listing the heated build chamber um as a patent that they're using essentially so i guess i don't know if someone's infringing on them well it's, it's up to stratasys to take them up right it's, yep um yeah the the makeabot method um they've been you know going pretty wild on on marketing and, and pushing out that fact that hey we have a new 3d printer and it's it's been a while since makeabot released something of substance right mm -hmm. um so the method is what they are calling the world's first oh i see that they've taken out the world it's not just called the first performance 3d printer <laughs> the thing is that they never clarify what they actually mean by performance 3d printer i mean what defines a performance athlete what what is a performance car what is a performance 3d printer like ah. Uh, Bridging the gap between industrial and desktop 3D printing. Well, they are at least saying something. Print up to two times faster than desktop 3D printers. Compared to Asterix. popular desktop 3D printers when using the same layer height and infill density settings. Speed advantage dependent on upon object geometry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if... Well, what what is limiting the print speed of current 3D printers? Um I Flow think we have already talked about that in in one of the past episodes, but um, well, maybe it's stiffer. Um, maybe they have optimized their materials that they flow better through the nozzle. Maybe they have a better like cooling performance in there. That, um, for example, for PLA, everything solidifies quite fast. Um, yeah, I would be interested to see some of these printers printing at 120 millimeters a second because that is pretty fast. They don't really give you like movement speeds here, as far as I'm aware. Um, but let me see that they are explicitly uh, touting a, a stiffer frame with like a steel center core. Um, and they, oh, here, there, there is actually, there, is, there are numbers on it. So print head travel speed up to 500 millimeters a second. So travel speed, not, not, print speed i guess mm -hmm. um 500 millimeters per second and 50 cubic millimeters per second of material flow rate that is that is actually quite impressive so on a typical print with let's say 0.15 millimeter layers um and normal speeds you get something like 10 millimeter uh, cubic millimeters max um so if they're saying 50 cubic millimeters per second flow rate that is that is quite a lot more than what you get on on your normal 
desktop consumer printers. Mm-hmm. Um, they do actually have a cost calculator here on the on the site. Um, and it's not just a cost calculator, it's also a print time calculator. So one of the models that they're showing here is, um, for example, a maze cube. So like a Hilbert curve infilled 50% PLA, 50% PVA supports 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. Um, and it's like four layers or five layers of, of you know, PLA. Then you have nothing um, where you need support. Then you have another PLA. It's, it's kind of a snake structure. Um, 10 by 10 by 10. I would have guessed if you print that on an Ultimaker 3, which is kind of your slow to normal speed supported um, printer, that would take you probably a day to mm-hmm. print. And make about are claiming seven hours single print, single part print time, which is crazy fast. I mean, seven hours doesn't sound fast, but comparing to what the alternatives are, that could be pretty, pretty, I'm not going to say revolutionary, but pretty good, pretty good <laughs> in comparison. Um, and really that they're positioning the printer against uh, outsourcing your prints, um, giving your, your prototypes to, an, to a third party and having them printed on uh, an SLS or SLM machine. You, you know, that, that's what they're selling it. And they're saying, okay, you, you're going to have your uh, return of investment within three weeks if you print this many parts a week. Mm-hmm. And that's really who they're going for. Well, I can maybe talk a little bit about uh, my experience with that because we have like Ultimakers at work where we do lots of fixtures and things like these. And um, one of the reasons why we bought more printers was that we had to print more parts. Um, So having a faster printer will help you in, well, getting more parts out faster. But what else they are aiming towards is in the morning you make your prototype and you want to see like the finished prototype at the end of yeah. the day um, and there well it, that could be helping you and taking a look at the price six thousand five hundred dollars it might look pretty expensive at first glance but the new ultimaker also is in that price range the s5 uh, yeah yeah which makes it pretty and it's, competitive it's- it is probably a direct competitor to the S5. I mean, looking at the S5 also has the enclosure, uh, kind of half enclosure with the doors up mm. front. Um, similar size, right? No, it's not similar. Uh, it uh, is just 190 by 190 Ooh, by 190 sorry, millimeters. Smaller, but... Yeah. Okay. But I guess yeah, the market could... segment is, is similar. Yeah. Um... And one of the things is with the PVA supports, um, this is aimed towards like um, aesthetic prototypes. So you will not like print fixtures and simple parts with that. They wanna have you print like complex structures with that printer. Um, and, and I think this is pretty nice. The question is, as always with uh, PVA supports, um, does it take another day to, well, like dissolve the PVA supports? Yeah. <laughs> because this is always a problem, at least when I'm working with the Ultimaker or at home with PVA support. If you are, if you don't have like a heated um, ultrasonic bath that is also like... Uh, um, yeah, that has a ton of a flow through it with a flow or something. Through it. Yeah. it, I usually just calculate a day for the solution of like a 
complex supported yeah. part. <laughs> so what, what they are showing basically that they have this video playing on their side where it's okay, CAD, print, rinse, and then part. And the rinse is literally just somebody dunks it into water, you have the bubbles splashing up. The next shot is you have the completely clean part that is being pulled out. So <laughs> mm, mm, that might <laughs> be a sure bit of a, of, a, of a compression of time there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any, any type of PLA, especially the stuff that is more easily printable, like the Ultimaker specific one, which this kind of looks like, to be honest, um, is going to take a while to dissolve, at least to dissolve to that state where it's actually clean. Mm. you're gonna get it to okay i don't see it anymore because it's just it's, it is soaked up water but that doesn't mean it's it's completely gone and flushed out mm. yeah that that of course is something to to add into the calculation but well despite having like a faster printer the question is what mm. are they talking about if they are saying um well that this is the first performance 3d printer is this just the print speed is this um also better accuracy are there any other features in there as i think you have said before the materials that should be used with that printer are pla and ptg so yeah they don't um, have a heated bed they do not have a heated bed which is something that is unspeakable of at that price point but they do have that heated chamber. And it's not just an enclosed chamber. Um, as we were talking about earlier, it is actually an actively heated chamber. So they've got a fancy graphic in here where apparently in the sides where your Z-axis would go, there's literally like aluminum heat sinks that are connected to heaters and there's air blowing out them. So you have like this cyclone of hot air streaming over your print constantly. But the question is, if you're working with PLA, why would you want a heated build chamber? Because that usually degenerates your prints. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it must be connected to your material profiles, right? So for PLA, I don't think it would actually turn that on. Hmm. So they have MakerBot Precision Materials PLA Tough, which is the PETG. Probably. No, the tough is, is I think, just a uh, ah, that's, modified PLA. That's a PLA. tough PLA. Okay. Yeah. And then PTG and more to come. But that kind of limits that kind of limits the the materials you you can print on that machine, because uh, if you don't have a heated bed, I don't see a real possibility that you can print ABS or nylon with this machine. Well, with the heated chamber, you'd you'd, su you'd be surprised how much a, a heated chamber makes of a difference if you have that the right bed material. Yeah, you could be right there, uh, and if if you're using like a um, a raft or like really yep. big brims on the outside yeah um i was looking for the spec how hot that gets but yeah um but then again i don't think abs is is really something they're aiming towards just because abs has taken such a uh a dump in or decrease in mm -hmm. in, in usage um over the last years months um, but wasn't abs like the material for the maker bot in like the the old days yeah yeah um because that was something i think they could control extrusion and printability wise um and pla was always tough with hey you need to have part cooling figured out you need to have a hot end that doesn't jam with pla um those sorts of things um i think it's easier to get to to like a, a, a low to mid-range quality level with abs and then pla kind of requires you to have a few more things figured out yeah um but yeah but so all in all I, I still think that at the moment they are aiming more towards like aesthetic prints 
just taking a look at your parts and less into the direction of functional uh, prints, at least, well, if they're not like temperature loaded and things like these. Yeah. Um, also, one really interesting thing is, and this is something which I guess also sets that printer off from the Ultimaker is um, the dry sealed material base. Because if you're yeah. working with PVA, moisture is always an issue. Ultimaker has figured their PVA out quite well. So you can leave the PVA out for a couple of days and it will still remain yep. kind of printable. Um, but still, if it's hot outside, if it's summer, if it's humid, um, your PVA will be done in a couple of days if you, well, don't look for that. And if you have like compartments where you can put into your material, it's definitely uh, better for, for the print quality in the end. Yeah, I've noticed one thing about the, the filaments is it doesn't say that you can use like any other material than MakerBot um, spools. It, it, I think somewhere it says that it's um, like RFID smart spools. Yeah, smart spools with RFID sensors. So I'm feeling like they've actually, and supported materials is just the MakerBot materials. I feel like this is going to be a fully chipped and fully locked down printer. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, the question is, do you know how yeah. much the materials cost? Um, no. Because, well, you, you if, can if go to pre-order and, and get a bundle <laughs> and kind of see what that bundle would be worth. Let me, let, me, let me check that real quick. I think they're the old materials. Tough mixed pack. Yes. Um, six spools sell for $600. So you can so get a tough mixed pack. Yeah. Six spools and, and three spools of PVA. Okay. So six spools of, of a modified PLA plus three spools of PVA or 600 bucks. So it's... Is that like expensive. half a kilo pro, per row or... <laughs> I don't know. A kilo? Doesn't because say. If, if you're spending that... So a usual, a normal maker, I guess, won't spend that much on, on a 3D printer. <laughs> At least I wouldn't. Um, for sure. But if you are a company and if you want to use that printer for your prototypes and it has to work, I think usually spending a bit more on the material and just then have everything working is usually acceptable. And I can understand that in some way. Yeah, it is expensive, but you, if you buy such an expensive machine, you expect it to work. And um, okay, they could still have given the user the possibility to add their own materials. But on the other hand, maybe most of them anyways buy the more expensive MakerBot material because they know that it works. So it's a nah. I'm I'm just checking uh, Ultimaker materials here and Ultimaker sells for 40 euros um, per 750 grams. Yes, for Ah, PLA. Um, I'm, the PVA is probably more expensive. It's the same amount for the 350 gram spools. So it's pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, and MakerBot, they are selling the, they are also selling 750 gram spools. So it is a little bit more expensive than the Ultimakers, but not like that much. Yeah. Well, if it can print faster, it, that's going to save you money in the end, right? Um, yeah. And that, it that, always that, depends think, what you want to do with it. Yeah, but the, the speed, I think, even though they are not doing a great job of pointing that out, the speed, <laughs> I think, is is the main feature of this printer. Um, they do have the extra long um, heater blocks, essentially, on their hot ends. Um, 
and they, they are pointing that out but um yeah 19 to 1 dual drive gear ratio extruder greater <laughs> torque thing marketing um, yeah speed speed is is the big thing for this makeup on yeah. method and I mean, if MakerBot make it happen, if, if they are able to make a fast printer feasible and, and, and kind of, um, how, how does this translate into English? Um, they get people hooked on the idea of, hey, we can have this this process be so much faster than I think that's, that's going to, you know, get other companies inspired to imitate that. And maybe we're going to see faster 3D printers after all. Yes, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of our first podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, other companies can get inspired maybe by pretty good ideas that MakerBot had in making uh, this printer. So in the end, it could be beneficial for all of us. And I'm also um, unpatient. So I would really like to see faster printers at some point um, because not everyone has the advantage of having like 10 printers at home yeah. <laughs> if you have a project and you want it fast uh it's kind of hard for me to wait like half a week to get all of the parts done yeah yeah and if you want to know more about our opinions on faster or larger printers check out the early ep was it which episode was that i think it was the pilot was was it, it zero it was zero, I guess, or the first one. One of those. Uh, oh, yeah. Episode zero, our pilot. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> go check that out if you want to know more about where we stand on that topic. Should we should we move on to the uh, PLA or PTG dis discussion? I don't think there's much to say to that. Ah. Is oh, there? On the discussion, PLA or PTG? Yeah. I, I think it would be like a good um, point now to talk about that because uh, I always struggle with my own opinion on whether I should use more PETG or if my PLA prints are totally fine for the moment. So I currently print like 80 or 90% in PLA at home because it just works. Um, it always sticks to the bed. It sticks to all of the print platforms I have at home. It doesn't really have a huge moisture issue. And it is a strong material after yeah, all. It's just, it's really convenient, right? Yeah, it is convenient. Yeah. The two big points um, of issue I have with PLA is, uh, first of all, temperature. Obviously, um, if you don't have something that you temper intentionally uh it pla is going to soften at 45 50 degrees celsius so as soon as you have anything connected or touching that that might heat up be it in a car where it's sunlight or some motor or whatever else that heats up pla is just out of the question um and the other one is that it that it creeps on the load so if you have it mechanically stressed um say you have a a bolt or a screw going through it and have a washer and you're gonna see that impression of that washer after a few hours even where it just squishes the material and it kind of you know you, you retighten it and then it squishes more and it just deforms the entire part over time so that is my my big well inconvenience with pla um but overall, if it's, if it's stuff that's just made to look good or fits onto something, then it's fine, right? It is fine. But maybe let's let's talk about the creep issue because you have been, well, mentioning that already for a couple of times. And 
I have actually never really seen that so far. And I'm mm. already thinking for quite a while about performing a creep test for different materials. I have been taking a look at the, the standard... Um, the, the standards where it's plastics are usually tested with, but um, I didn't really find an easy to do method uh, for the moment. So yeah, of course, plastics creep, but I think the thing is that PLA, so the glass transition temperature is, well, like uh, six, like around 50 to 60 degrees Celsius. So it shouldn't really creep that much. Um, but there, there are other materials like, I guess, PETG, where the glass transition temperature is actually below zero degrees. I don't know if it's PDG or nylon. It's or, uh, PP or, or PE. Those those are below zero, like negative 50 or negative 80 degrees Celsius. So they are, they are kind of a, well, not stable substance at the, the well, temperatures we, what does, we usually use them what does the glass transition temperature actually tell you about a material because I've, I've always felt like the glass transition temperature is such a poor measurement of what a material is going to do like you of course you can put your your pe um cutting boards into the dishwasher and they they're not going to melt right you can use them at room temperature they're, they're not going to you know flow off your table because they've they've, they've melted right um there are other numbers like the the Vicat softening point um that i feel like are, are way better indicators of what the usable temperature range of a mm -hmm. certain uh of a certain polymer are now for for many materials those the, the glass transition temperature and the wicket softening point, they are kind of in the same range. They, they meet up. Um, but for others, it's, it's way different. Mm. <laughs> They're in, in entire different orders of magnitude. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my experience with material creep is just anecdotal evidence, and that's not the best evidence you can have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, some, some actual testing on that would be, would be nice. Yeah, I would really like to see that. Because as I said, I haven't seen that much evidence with my parts I have done so far. For example, I have cloth hooks downstairs that are like three years old and every day they're really heavy jackets hanging on there. They are still looking the same as on the first day. <laughs> yeah, it's always about, you know, uh, crossing a certain stress. Okay. Stress. Stress threshold. <laughs> <laughs> Try saying that fast three times in a row. Yeah. Um, so depending on the temperature of your material, you can have a certain stress concentration or a mm. stress on each point where it's not going to creep over time. And you know, the, the closer you get to your softening point, um, that the lower that stress is going to be. It might just be that you know, over some slight temperature cycling, the PLA mm. gets closer to that softening point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what about PTG then? Um, so I, well, just today I've printed another part in PTG, but this was like a bracket for a, a stepper motor. So I thought, okay, I will take PTG due to the advantage of having like a higher temperature resistance. This is where I usually think about using that material. And also, well, all the Prusa printers, all the parts of the new Prusa printers are now, are now not ABS anymore, but yeah. there are PETG besides the... Some extruder parts yeah, are yeah. still ABS, but everything else is PETG. So this is kind of a lot of evidence that 
that material works quite well. It can be used in, at elevated temperatures. Um, they haven't switched to PLA for obvious reasons so far. Um, but yeah, still, I always feel printing PETG is not that easy as uh, PLA, just due to the reason that you have more stringing, that it has kind of a moisture issue. Um, I had stictivity issues <laughs> in the past, but this was from filament. I well, from from my first uh, experience with uh, printing PDG like three or four years ago. I think this is not the case anymore now at the moment. Um, and if you load PETG fast and it has been taken up some moisture before the printing process, it can be quite brittle. Yeah. Yeah, that is, um, I think E3D actually demonstrated that once with their edge filament where um, you take it, it, the prints look almost the same except for a bit of, of extra string with a with a wet filament. Mm. Um, but overall, it, it you couldn't tell with a finished print, like it doesn't bubble like a nylon. Um, but then you take a hammer to your part and the dry filament or the, the filament that was printed dry um, just has the hammer bouncing off and the wet printed one snaps in half and just breaks like a glass um and apparently there is something going on where the actual moisture reacts with your um well with your polymer chains and, and kind of breaks them up as they're being heated so it's, it's kind of as the, the water evaporates violently it rips the the polymer chains apart and makes it more brittle and, and weaker um so yeah, moisture is a definite issue with with P PTG, even if it doesn't look like it um, when you're printing it. Now, what, what are you yeah. preferring when you are printing like normal parts? Normal parts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean when it's anything mechanical, I I kind of I have a tendency to use PTG. Um, that being said. I often end up using PLA because I feel like, okay, well, it's, you know, this printer already has it loaded. Why not just go with it? And so it's probably going to be fine. Um, yeah, most of the stuff I, I print is PLA just because it's it's good enough. I hate using that term, but it comes up so often it's kind of relevant. Yeah, it's, PLA is good enough for so many things, right? It's not going to melt if you just hold it in your hand. Uh, it's okay for like phone cases or simple prototypes or where you just need something that, you know, has that shape <laughs> then pla is, is totally fine and and for the record i don't blame anyone using pla it's it's a good material and as we've both shown it's it, it as long as you don't add heat to the equation it can be quite strong as well mm -hmm. yeah so as a conclusion <laughs> yeah it, as always it depends <laughs> they're both good materials one's a bit they're harder to print material. than the other yeah but still, I don't know. So if if you don't use PLA or PETG, which is like the next higher technical material you are usually, well, aiming towards, is it ABS? Is it nylon? Is it even polycarbonate? I actually end up using, well, nylons I very rarely use just because of the, the you just have such a large step in, in print settings and in, in just requirements you, for printing a nylon itself. So usually my step up is to, some ABS-like material, whether that's ASA or HIPS or ABS itself, um, that's my next step up for stuff that is, you know, a, a stepper motor mount, for example, for mm -hmm. a stepper motor that gets hot. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you what do you usually use? 
I don't really like to use ABS or ASA or um, hips a lot just due to the, um, well, like smell issue. Um, depends on the filament quite a lot. It depends on the filament, yes. And as we have talked before, this is yeah. one thing I would have liked the or I would like the the, the Dremel printer to be uh, like a printer fully enclosed uh, charcoal filter particle filter in there and then I can even print ABS parts in my office um, I have an, ex um, an enclosure down in the basement that I use for printing um, ABS but uh, I also rarely do that to be honest I mostly go to nylons because I have a dry box that is usually loaded with um, nylon so I just um, get the Bowden tube out of there and then yep. plug it directly in one of the printers and that's usually working pretty well but it is definitely a step up you sometimes have like issues that the part doesn't want to stick to the build platform but they're also new like um print sticks to help uh, that's uh, working but yeah it, it's a step up and well nylon or abs is usually the material i aim towards yeah it's uh, that specialty solution for where our other materials don't work and you know it's not the preferred choice nah right. <laughs> and the this or that was about pla or ptg so <laughs> Cool. PLA plus or tough PLA is something if you have a more mechanically loaded part you should be looking towards it still has the temperature issue but it is way more uh, not, well ductile and um, how would you say it, it can take a beating yeah, it's more, it's more impact resistant, um, yeah. basically. Though I've not had the best experiences with the modified PLAs um, because they, they some of them just didn't end up being stronger than the PLA. They ended up being way weaker. Um, they're more ductile, yes, more impact resistant, but the actual tensile strength just took a dump. But that's going to very much depend on, on the specific material used because every manufacturer just puts something else into their modified PLA material. You're right there. All right. Uh, weekly topic, YouTube. <laughs> uh, where do I start with this? <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the same thing right now, talking about YouTube and, and you know, what content we should make. This is not a, a happy and a uh, universally, oh, getting excited about this topic. This is something serious and something that doesn't really have a, a solution that makes everyone happy. And that is also a problem on YouTube itself. If you make content that doesn't adhere to that rule, uh, that, you know, if it's not content that makes everyone happy, it's not going to get as, as, as good of a response. But let's start from the... Uh, from the basics, right? We've, we've both been making YouTube videos for a while. Yeah. <sighs> you have been making YouTube videos as a full-time YouTuber for like one and a half, two years now? I think two and a half years. I've lost track of time. Two and a half years. Oh my God, we're getting old. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it in my back. I, I, I spend like eight hours a day in, in this very chair and it's... <sighs> <laughs> so you, you are way more dependent on making videos, making no, revenue out of videos, getting views from your videos, then I am. 
for me, yeah, it's it's kind of a nice bonus and it's getting more in the direction that I'm thinking about. Uh, is it worth spending more time and maybe making this thing like also a, a full-time job for me? But at the moment, it's a bonus and it's like a personal thing if videos get a lot of views. I, I just, I'm happy that lots of people like the content I make. Yeah, but and for you, your content has been doing really well. Oh yeah, so the last video I did like five years ago, uh, five five weeks ago <laughs> about the filament extruder, it just exploded. It, oh, yeah. it exploded my channel. It has 330,000 views at the moment. It, it's crazy. And this is something which kind of makes me happy. I don't know. I, I just need to get the um, assurance that what I do people like because if that wouldn't be the case i wouldn't be happy doing that i wouldn't spend all of the time doing that i wouldn't like waste all of my weekends for that yeah um so yeah at the moment i'm this is this is great this is great but the thing is most of the time this is like your one shot like your one viral video and <laughs> you need to be aware that the next one probably won't be like that and you don't have to be upset if that happens yeah so how how do you right now decide what content you make and what you just do yourself and don't make a video about um well since i'm kind of time limited i don't really do that many projects anymore that don't get videoed unfortunately this is something i'm kind of upset about because making videos about your projects always like takes five times as long as you At would least, just do yeah. it um but still since i am in like the position where i don't need to make videos for making money i try to do things i'm really interested in but still the things I am usually interested in are things where there isn't that much content around and where I think other ones would be interested if they would see what would be possible there. So filament making, recycling, 3D prints was something where I've always read some small things. Oh, is it possible? Is it not possible? The ones are saying this, the other ones are saying that. So I wanted to try it on out on my own and I wanted to show like my experience with that and maybe that way inspire other people. So this has been a topic many people were interested in and it just, I, I wouldn't call it viral, but it went kind of well. It, it did do pretty darn well, yeah. <laughs> um... But, well, it's it's just not always the case. Um, the other topics that I'm choosing, as I said, are things where I'm just interested in. We've been already talking about the, the paste extruder. I want to make my own espresso cups with clay that was extruded from my 3D printer. Um, there is some content about that already around, not that much. So I think it's worthwhile it's uh well just working in that direction but it's all also something i'm really interested in i wouldn't really like to make videos about things that uh, i don't like because i need to find the motivation to do these videos and if i'm not motivated <laughs> i don't like to work and i make bad work so this 
would is just something that wouldn't work out. Yeah. But as I said, I'm 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 in the good position that I'm not fully dependent on that. Um, yeah. So the interesting thing, I guess, at the moment is the question: How are you usually tackling that problem or that like issue, vicious circle? <laughs> what what do you cover and what do you not cover? Yeah. Um, I mean, we we all only have so many hours in a day that we can put into work. Um, because I mean, for me, this this is my job, right? This is my my only, um, well, currently my my, my only um, way of of generating income, right? Um, making videos, putting it out there, um, getting the the support from Patreon, getting the ad revenue, sponsorships, affiliates, all that sort of thing. Um, so for me, I really have to to decide. Okay, what do I put my my time into? Is it the stuff that I that I feel like is important to cover? Um, that I want to cover or is it the stuff that I see is getting views and that I see people will watch and that it will go viral um, and in the last well in, in pretty much the entire time that I've that I've been YouTubing um, I've always done that where I just pick stuff that, that I was interested in and, and, and things that I thought were imp important to show out there like uh, recently the interviews with Adrian Boyer or uh, Gino Hoiska or you know covering some of, some of those things and The, the the entire reason why I'm bringing this up is because those videos have performed rather poorly. Um, I've been getting really good feedback about them, like people were loving them, but mm. not a lot of people were watching them. And I don't blame I don't blame viewers for this. Um, I think people would be really interested in that. I blame it on on just the algorithm, as, as so many YouTubers <laughs> do. But it's it's a real thing. Um, it's those niche videos. Are, are mm. really hard to justify pouring that the time and love and effort into. Um, so at the at the point where YouTube is your job and where it is a business, it from a realistic standpoint, I've I've talked to I've talked to different people about this, and they they all are like, hey, you know, you should really do this, and I'm like, well, that, that's not what I want to do. Um, But really, you have to you have to go in and say, okay, this video is probably going to perform this well, and it's going to take me this long. Is it worth it? Like, I've not published an N3 review yet. Creality Ender 3. I'm sure that would get you know, <laughs> I would easily get six figures in views. Um, but I've just felt like, okay, there, there's so many things still up in the air. Like, what sort of company is Creality? Um, and that that recently we, we've we've started figuring that out, and they're they're not as bad as some others. Um, and it's it's tough man um well the the thing i'm always trying and this is uh, which is really hard for me from from time to time you create quality content and the thing is you need to get the viewers to watch your content and it is a little bit bribing them into clicking on your video and this oh, yeah. involves creating clickbaity titles and clickbaity thumbnails yeah i Anything? really often feel bad about that but um well i feel bad about doing these because it would be better if i would not have to do them but they are necessary at the moment because otherwise you don't get any absolutely views. absolutely if it doesn't well here here's some some rules some fixed laws of, of youtube it's like if you have the best the most the world's um <laughs> insane if you have anything like that in your title 
you're yeah. easily going to get three times or four times uh, the views, yeah. even if the content is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but also, it's, it's not just getting people into watching your videos and, and then realizing, hey, this is actually good stuff. It's also about, you know, what I, what I started this, this uh, segment with, it's about positivity and mm. I know a lot of, of like the big guys, um, Casey Neistat, Peter McKinnon, uh, those guys that I do look up as as YouTube um, stars. No, as people who have successfully mastered YouTube, um, they've they've talked about this too, and you can very definitely see it in the videos. As long as it's, you know, they they show the things where they're enthusiastic about, where they're having mm. a good time, but as soon as you know, they, they don't feel well. Casey and I said, I mean, he did his daily vlog um, and then he stopped at some point because it was like, okay, I'm, I'm burned out. I'm, uh, I have to go back to a more irregular schedule because not every day I feel like I'm super hyped about this thing. And yeah. it's the same with products. It's the same with projects. If you're not super enthusiastic about something, if you're not happy about how a product performs, like I've got the review of the Monoprice Delta Pro coming up which I've got mixed feelings about. I'm, I know, you know, that video is not going to perform as well as a, a, a hypey uh, of 3 review. It's just, it's painful. But I, I've not found a solution for that yet. I, I know Patreons um, support us, right, um, for mm-hmm. putting our, our honest opinion out there and for mm-hmm. showing, like, the entire thing. Um, but on the other hand, if, if a video gets 10,000 views, um, and is liked by patrons versus a video getting, you know, 550,000 views and maybe not having a lot of substance, like where, where do we draw that line? Mm. Um, I'm sure we're, we're making this sound quite, or I'm making this sound quite complicated. Um, and as a viewer, you might not, not have the full picture on this, but I don't know if, if you guys watching or listening have input for this um let's let me let us know (laughs) yeah so i i think we are both in the good position that we have these patreons because they enable us to make kind of unbiased reviews of things yeah because otherwise it is always the thing if you are posting a video about a product that is bad you won't get any affiliate yeah. income over that. Oh, yeah. So why is it worth making a video about that? And this is the hard thing. And this is what I really dislike about many other YouTubers that <laughs> even though a product is not good, I don't say the S word at the moment, um, <laughs> they are just advertising that. And they're advertising it because they're making their money with the affiliate yeah. sales. And yeah. the patrons they enable us to still invest time if a product is not that good and get the information out there that they can make a good decision on their next purchase. Um, yeah, and we're, we're not saying that, you know, YouTubers who kind of don't put out critical content that they're kind of deceiving the user. They're just not telling the whole story. Yeah. Um, it's not that they're lying about it. It's just, you know... It's, Unbox therapy, very classic example, right? <laughs> um, very rarely critiques a product, um, but mostly it's a, it's a channel about unboxing something, showing the first impression, showing about showing the things that are cool about a product, but not really going into the depth of okay, mm. this is cool, but yeah, that's that's the whole other part of of, of the picture. Yeah, yeah. But this this is a really hard thing. I'm also always struggling with that because I. 
I want to view videos that also well put like 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 valid criticism on on on, on products and I want to do that as well because uh, if I, w I am presenting something I don't well just want to leave out details which might be a might be something like which which is breaking uh, the the product in the end so um but but the thing is every criticism you add to a video or you add to review potentially lowers the sales of that product yeah. and it then changes the decision on if you should do a review in the first place because yep. you need to earn some money with that so. yeah so again we, I, I know for a fact and then you you as well right we, we are incredibly grateful for patrons that support us yes um that make this possible um without you guys out there we would be we would be forced to do an entirely different style of content um and i've actually got it written on my whiteboard right here i think that the core question is what we what we want to do you have a whiteboard there too nice <laughs> nice always <laughs> in view um it's a big question of what do you want to do do you want to do entertainment or do you want to do education Mm -hmm. And I think we're both kind of pretty hard in the corner of education and we're going to entertain while it's, you know, while it fits in. But the, the core is education and education is, is going to be hard because it's something that, first of all, the viewer has to spend energy on just paying attention and, and kind of um, putting some critical thought into what is presented to them um, versus when you have just something that is entertainment, they can lean back onto their couch, they can put up the video on, on their TV and just, you know, just relax for a second and, and not have to put any thought into that. And there's, I think, way more of an audience for that sort of thing versus um, something where you have to invest critical thought yourself. Mm. And again, that is not a dig on viewers. That is just basic human nature. Anything that is uplifting is going to, you know, gain more, more, uh, more traction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, so th there we go we've, we've solidly ruined this episode of the podcast by uh including non-uplifting content <laughs> uh, well we you have also been in including one sentence in our show notes <laughs> rewind sums up the state of youtube pretty well um yeah. it's the most disliked video on youtube now it's, it's kind of impressive but it's it doesn't deserve that yeah it well it doesn't deserve that and The thing is, yeah, we are also dependent on advertisers, but this just can't be everything. Yeah, let, let, let me clarify yeah. the, the that doesn't deserve it. I mean, the video itself for sure deserves the downloads it's getting, but Rewind is just such a, a good summary of, of the state of YouTube. That's the way I wrote it out in, in, our, in yeah. our show notes here. Um, it sums up the state of YouTube. And if you're disliking the uh, rewind video you should also be disliking every single video that ends up in youtube trending <laughs> because it is the same thing yeah it's just less cringy sometimes but i don't know i don't know did, did you watch youtube rewind i actually watched it yeah i, I, I couldn't bear the thing i, I had to, to quit out at 30 seconds or so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, i think i watched it like two or three days ago and then i watched all of the videos from pewdiepie and uh and marques who also yeah. commented on like the um 
like what everybody else or said about that video all about the dislikes so it is really interesting rewind was something pretty cool like four or five years ago yeah. but it started it out as a good needs idea to get more more and more advertiser friendly friendly so yeah <sighs> <laughs> the, the, the thing <laughs> neither of us want want to to put out the idea of oh youtube is dying because it advertises and no. it's, it's such a because we we depend on youtube well you don't depend on it as much as i do but it's we, we would be cutting off our own legs if we were dooming youtube here it's yeah. youtube youtube is good youtube if, is great if you put out the right sort of content and if you if you shape the platform to what you think is right for it yeah yeah <laughs> and there there isn't any real alternative for that um, ah, there's Facebook video or something, right? Oh, they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, at least the videos I get in my Facebook stream are way worse usually than anything that is in, in YouTube trending. <laughs> I don't know. I rarely I'm... open up Facebook. I, I can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons why I started making YouTube videos because I really like YouTube as a platform for gathering information. And there is lots of stupid videos around and videos that don't deserve the views but on the other hand there are so many creators that spend so much time on creating really great content yeah and we're both adding to that i hope <laughs> yeah uh, i was gonna say at least that that's that's our goal that's what we hope to do right but it is just sometimes hard um making good content and seeing other ones who make like bad content uh, oh yes they put it um no they they get much more out of making bad content as you're getting spending your time on making good content and this is kind of hard but still uh, at least okay. what would we consider is good content right um the, the platform yeah. is the judge of that yeah, uh, yeah if you don't get the views it's yeah not good content in that sense yeah yeah it it can hurt Seeing a, a video that is, you know, super sloppily done, that is incorrect in, in the information it puts out there, that just doesn't have any value to the platform. At least I don't think it does. Seeing it take off so much versus a video you've literally put, you know, a, a full week into and, and kind of got frustrated at it. And, and like, then you put it out there and you think you've produced something good and it just, it, it takes a dump. It's, yeah, but, well... And that's the reality. So what what I'm gonna start doing more is I'm first of all uh, I do have uh, I think I've I've talked about it I, I do have an editor editing for me um, that I can just shoot content over to shoot some some you know shot stuff to and and be like okay please edit this I, I don't want to have to deal with it I don't have to <laughs> I don't want to you know spend my my energy on dissecting that that video and and having to deal with it so I can stay positive uh, I don't have to get frustrated on on <laughs> editing. Um, by the way, Premiere Pro is, is a bit more stable now. I With feel like. the O2 release or something like yeah, that? Yeah, some, some updates made it a bit better. But yeah, um, editor. And also I'm going to be putting more effort into scoring videos, into prioritizing videos and, and mm. making sure I put my energy into shooting and producing the right stuff that is both informative and worth the time to invest uh, into mm. And... I'm actually not sure. I mean, I've I've, I've mentioned it before. The the rep rap documentary that I've already spent so much time on. I'm not sure where that's going to fall on that scale. I'm afraid it, it it might not score well in the 
you know, is going to get views, people are going to be interested in it, and it's going to be a ton of more, it's going to be a ton of work to, to produce the content I've, I've already shot into something that is watchable. I'm not sure if, if that's going to be worth it. So, yeah. Have you ever thought about making a Kickstarter or something like that for it? Like seeing if it is worth doing, if there are enough people who are interested in that? I, w I would feel bad about that because I already have community support from yeah. Patreon and it's like okay you're, you're getting paid from these guys why do you ask for more money here um, I'd have to make a really good case for asking for, for extra funding for that yeah now um, yeah. nah, you're yeah. totally right about it's, that I, I, th I think it will it will be something that is interesting it always depends on well how you put it in the end if you can get people who are watching directly from the beginning involved in everything but it's tough it it, it right. is tough but i i it's think at the moment there there is there is nothing in that direction well somewhere in a condensed manner where people can get informed about that yeah Uh, I mean it, that that topic that rep, rep talk is is such a big topic it's such a big burden or, or burden is the wrong word um, <laughs> my expectations for that piece are so high because it's such an, an essential piece of what 3D printing uh, or why 3D printing is and, and, and mm. it gives so much context to everything else we do I don't want to rush it I don't just want to throw it mm. out there I do want to put the hours in if I'm going to release it i do want to do it right and that's going to be at least a month or two of of, of editing and, and putting that into which means less content on the regular channel so ah. i'm i'm really looking forward to that <sighs> maybe some other viewers will have the question will will this maybe if you spend that amount of work in there also something that could be released also in german <laughs> have you ever thought about that Ooh. I mean, the, the interviews I've shot are, are, of course, all English, so I'd have to dub them or, or give them uh, subtitles. Subtitles? <laughs> But it, it, well, I'm, I'm always thinking about if, if you put really that much effort in a documentary and, yeah, most of the people who are currently watching both of our content, well, know English very well. If I take a look at, at my viewers and the 3D printing community in Germany, there are many around who prefer content in, in German because yeah. it's just easier. And I mean, for, for regular content like reviews or guides yeah. or scripted stuff, I found that it's really not, sorry, Germans, uh, fellow Germans, <laughs> uh, it, it's just really not worth putting all the extra time into like translating the entire script, mm -hmm. re-recording everything, uh, re-editing everything. Uh, because it's almost as much effort as as producing the first one um and the viewership a german video gets versus the english one is like mm. a fourth or a fifth um mm. of the amount and at that point it just mm, it is again really hard to justify that yeah uh, for something as large as a, as a documentary maybe we'll see the the thing is also i i look at my viewer stats and yes there is a, a large portion of germans that are viewing maybe because i've started out you know making german and english content um but my my my, my thought is always hey germans you know typically at least understand english to to a degree where they can follow along what's happening 
uh, yeah. even if they, you know, most Germans are kind of afraid to speak English um, in public, but <laughs> most, most really understand stuff well. And if you have a scripted video, you have the subtitles um, in the video in YouTube itself. So the subtitles you see under the video, if it's a scripted one, are exactly what I'm saying there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Google Translate does a rather decent job translating those to something that, you know, at least helps you understand what's going on. Yeah. So, Yeah. That's no, it, it is true. really nice to see a little bit the transition of your video style from your last videos. You're doing things you are really interested in. The project videos are like yeah, kind of different as you used them before, but the, the quality is the, the the quality is great. The quality <laughs> is something you probably only see at like this old Tony or um, Alex Steele or something like that. It is it, it is great, but. Um, I think you already said it before. You're still finding the direction you want to go in, or am I putting that the wrong way? Yeah, no, no, no. It's um, I. So I. <laughs> this is also something else that I'm looking at how long this episode is. But some people have commented, "Hey, long <laughs> episodes are are cool." Um, <laughs> but this is also something that you know, tacking onto the "Hey, what what are we doing on, on YouTube? What the hell is going on there?" Um, YouTube kind of pushes you into a corner and keeps you there. Mm-hmm. It is extremely hard to break out of, you know, one style of content or one one like really laser focused uh, subject that you're doing on YouTube into something else. Like I don't feel like I can take my channel from uh, just 3D printing to something that is more project and more maker and more uh, well DIY focused, which is something that that I personally want to do, but I don't think I can do it on this one channel because the, mm. I'm, I'm seeing the videos that kind of deviate from just 3D printing. <sighs> I'm not blaming the viewers. I'm, I'm I'm sure there are people that want to watch this sort of thing. It's just um, that it doesn't the, the the content doesn't align perfectly with what people are expecting on the channel and you know it's it's kind of that that ripple effect um not enough people click on it and mm-hmm. it doesn't get recommended to enough people instead of youtube recommending it to the people that could actually care about it it just doesn't recommend it or, or show it to anyone so i'm sure that's not the whole story but youtube does kind of lock you into what you've started out doing mm-hmm. and I keep looking at channels like uh, the lockpicking lawyer or this old Tony or <laughs> well this old Tony does does experiment but lockpicking lawyer um, a guy who literally has a top down camera view and picks locks open or breaks them that is the entire thing he does nothing else and he gets really consistent uh, feedback he gets really consistent mm. results from his videos um, and there are a lot of other channels that uh, have you know a very very laser focused subject. And they do well. And the variety channel is someone like um, uh, I like to make stuff. He, mm-hmm. I think he's been incredibly lucky and he's been doing it incredibly well that he can get away with so many different topics <laughs> on the channel. Um, but he he has built the channel on that. He has built the channel on variety, mm-hmm. on on projects. Uh, so he can do that. If, you, if mm-hmm. you've started out doing just 3D printing or just woodworking, yeah, it's going to be hard to break out of that. Yeah. Well, if you're not starting to make like beauty videos or something like that, it's it's not going to be that bad. There, there may there might be quite the overlap. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> there, there are 
you could probably make quite a lot of money there or I th looking at the view numbers of some of these beauty channels oh uh i think they're getting rich <laughs> well no. oh yeah no <laughs> shit sure <Sherlock. laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah now well people subscribe to channels because well at least i do because i am expecting specific content from that direction and I know myself, if I regularly get content on that channel that is not what I'm expecting, I might even un unsubscribe to them. Yeah, and definitely. this is the thing, well, we, we, are, we need to tackle. Um, I would like to make some cooking videos on my CNC Kitchen channel, but I don't know if that would work out. <laughs> CNC cooking. CNC cooking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, subs don't really matter much anymore anyways right you, you can see channels that have a, a few hundred or a few thousand subs um consistently get really good view numbers if that's what you're going off of mm. and then other channels um i know for example film riot um who i'm subscribed to youtube doesn't really show me the videos they put out uh on the recommended or home screen or, or wherever else uh and they get really poor views every video mm. even though they have over a million subscribers they they, they kind of are, are yeah underperforming for for what the channel is mm. so subs don't matter anymore really and unless you yeah. have you know less than than 100 maybe then yeah clickbaity thumbnails <laughs> and yeah. script uh, and and uh and titles yeah, they unfortunately matter but on the other hand if you are good in that game you can use that to your advantage at least well like uh getting people watch your quality content so they are not upset if they clicked your video yeah um i guess to, to finish this topic out because uh yeah i, I feel like we're, we're turning into a downer podcast here yeah. um <laughs> one channel I, I really love watching is just the, the entire thing that uh, corridor does corridor digital formerly um do you know them uh no Okay. corridor like corridor As in like yes thing you walk through corridor okay. um joel actually has been been uh, apparently hanging out with ren from corridor um at not thinkercon yeah and they, they've they've kind of become buddies on twitter um ah yes i know them yeah um F from the uh, gopro canon video i think yes 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 yeah. yes, yes that's them. <laughs> so what they do is i mean the content they put out is fantastic both on their main channel which is just um the the more cinematic or actually cinematic where it's actually short films um they put it on corridor and then they have their vlog basically um about what's happening in the studio and what's going on and more the, the experimental stuff. Um, they put a ton of work into titles and thumbnails and descriptions and, and kind of focusing on actually getting the video out there and getting it seen. But also the content they put out is really well produced. It is fun to watch. It is uh, educational sometimes. Um, but I think if you have good content, you can get away with... Uh, making loud content and, and thumbnails, uh, mm. content titles and thumbnails that that engages viewers. Mm. Yeah, recommendation <laughs> for for you listening in and watching. Um, go check out a uh, corridor and the corridor crew. I think is is the new name of their vlog channel. Mm. 
And they've recently also started a podcast. Ha, how, ha. how coincidental. <laughs> Maybe we can link that below. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I just don't need to. I just shouldn't uh, forget about it. Here. Yeah, perfect. Corridor uh, podcast. <laughs> I guess taking a look at the time, I think we should st stop the podcast for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just it's, it's almost a game here. Yeah, it's just that our listeners are not getting that upset about a podcast which is now one hour, 20 minutes long. Hey, uh, pro tip for, for listeners. If the podcast is too long, um, pause it and come back at a later time. If you can't watch it in one sitting, or in one go, just watch it yeah. in two parts. Yeah. Like you can, you, can, you can take a break of a podcast at any time. It's, mm -hmm. that's and you can that's also awesome. listen to the podcast uh, with your favorite podcast player on your phone. So you don't actually need to sit in front of your PC, tablet or something like that. So just well, doesn't, when doesn't you're cleaning YouTube, the house next time. Doesn't YouTube Premium also have background play? It has, it has. Yeah. Um, but I haven't used that so far for uh, podcasts. So oh, yeah. you can also subscribe to YouTube Premium if you want to listen to our oh, yeah, podcast. Totally yeah, and the, the podcast is now monetized. We've we've passed that magical threshold. Yes, we're, we have we're already. Rich. <laughs> we are getting rich. We have already made one dollar. I think. Let me, let me let me check the the, the stats here real quick. <laughs> I think it was eighty three cents when I just checked it. Oh, last time I saw it, it was was fifty two. So we've made another thirty cents. Let me see. Let me 81 see. cents. Ooh. We are getting really rich. <laughs> yeah, 81 cents. And actually, the, the surprising thing is um, YouTube premium re revenue is more than half of that. So in case you're wondering, <laughs> hey, does, does YouTube premium, um, you know, take, take the cash for itself and not share it with, with uh, the creators? No, YouTube premium is actually very good in, in how much they pay out versus uh, how much the regular ad buyers, I guess, uh, <laughs> pay and, and how much the creator gets. So yeah, YouTube Premium definitely is something that is good for creators. Yeah, I gotta admit, I'm subscribed to them just because I don't need to watch any ads anymore and I don't have to use an ad blocker. blocker. And since I also see that I'm getting quite some, well, substantial, I, I don't want to say substantial, uh, but some of my revenue is from YouTube Premium, and yeah, so at the moment I'm still, still sub subscribed. Maybe also <laughs> the reason why I'm still subscribed is that I had the free subscription for three months and I <laughs> didn't bother. Like, Did you get that like, with a Google Pixel so or something? Sorry? Did you get that with a, with a Google Pixel? No, when, when they just announced it like Ooh. half a year ago in Germany, um, there was a three months free subscription that I of course took and <laughs> i haven't canceled it so far oh, nice. that's 10 bucks a month right it is 12 i guess 12 the thing i i really like about that subscription is that youtube music is also included it's ah. not as good as spotify i i have spotify already and on yeah, family so plan i'm sharing i don't have spotify or, and i was really not happy with the free version where you get ads all the time so no, that, that sucks. youtube premium is now music and no ads on my on, on videos okay. <laughs> that's nice so yeah if, if you're looking into youtube do we have is, is there a youtube premium referral affiliate program <laughs> making money off of our own ad I'll, I'll check that if there is i'll put a link uh, down in the description yeah, but do. i don't think so please do all right, all right. so cool. i guess 
thanks for your time everybody thanks yeah. for listening in thanks for joining us yeah, thanks sorry for about talking about 32-bit controllers we'll do yeah, that next time we'll do that next time so subscribe to the channel if you don't <laughs> want to miss that yeah subscribe <laughs> on well what are we missing we're still missing like one platform right Spotify Spotify, Spotify is pretty mm-hmm. hard to get into they have some some requirement and sign up process I guess they they really moderate their yeah. their content but yeah, yeah. working on so, it I guess what's just left to say is happy holidays. Yeah, we this is might be back before Christmas New Year's. Season. We're not sure about that so far, but we'll be back in like two weeks. Yeah, as as every time, right? As two always. weeks. Two weeks is working out pretty well. Yep. <laughs> All right. Cool. So thank you for your time, Stefan. Thank you for your time, Tom. And yep, see you next one. See you then. Bye. Bye.